Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, November 19th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, a busy weekend. Uh, we got it not kicked off, but the first thing we're going to talk about uh, was here in the Broadway Radio uh, podcast feed. You had an episode of This Week on Broadway on Sunday, of course, along with Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. You guys talked about a number of things, including American Son on Broadway, King Kong on Broadway, the new one on Broadway, uh, the prom. Uh, you guys talked about an interesting uh, last second casting uh, change that happened uh, during one of the performances. You also got a chance to talk about the New York City Center performance or production of a Chorus Line, the other Josh Cohen off Broadway, Eve's song off Broadway. A lot of really, really good stuff uh, to talk about. Anything specifically stand out for you? Well, uh, after we recorded, uh, Michael went to go see the prom uh, earlier uh, in the week before we recorded, and Peter and I went to go see the prom after we recorded Sunday afternoon hmm. um, and Beth level was out again and we got the same oh, wow. we got the same email message that uh, Michael had gotten that said Beth is out you're still welcome to come to the show and when Beth's back uh, let's uh, you know if you'd like to reschedule we'll do that for you and uh, so that was uh, interesting that um, that if Beth is out and uh, certainly this is the time of year when you know, various colds and flu go through the Broadway community and working on top of each other in tight quarters backstage. Uh, when one person in the company catches it, you know, everybody gets it. So uh, I suspect that this will, uh, you know, this is nothing more than that. Yeah, actually, uh, Josh Lamon, who's one of the stars of the show, he sent out something earlier today uh, on social media, on Instagram. It said, meet my Kate or meet my pal Kate uh, Marilli. I think that's how you uh, uh-huh. pronounce her name. We met almost 20 years ago while doing what might be the worst production of Singing in the Rain in U.S. history. <laughs> Yesterday at 2 p.m., while waiting for the curtain to go up, our incredible leading lady got very ill. In parentheses, she's totally fine, just a bug. The incredible Kate Marilli had zero rehearsals, no costumes, and was suddenly going on for the star. She nailed it. The audience was living for her. Swings and understudies literally rule the world and save the day. Bravo, Kate. So proud to be your friend. So it seems like this was not something that she had a ton of preparation for. Obviously, they just opened this past week. And as we know, understudies and swings and stuff very rarely get any rehearsal time at all uh, before opening night. I don't know if she was a part of the production in Atlanta and maybe, you know, knew it fairly well for that. But it does seem like this was a rather last minute thing that might have involved some puking. But that's just conjecture on my part. (laughs) Uh, I don't know either, but Michael Portantier said that uh, she just came out of My Fair Lady, so I suspect that she oh, was wow. previously busy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this week on Broadway, we talked about uh, great reviews for American Son, uh, for Mike Birbigley's The New One, um, Michael Liked The Prom, and Peter and I will talk about it next week, Horace Line, Michael Like Horace Line at City Center. And we talked about uh, the other Josh Cohn. Peter loved it. And we talked to uh, Peter had a great story about William Goldman and his passing. Uh, and, and then after all the good stuff, we talked about King Kong. Peter didn't hate it. No, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Peter Peter rather uh, surprised me and gave uh, King Kong uh, pretty good marks for the first 45 minutes of the show. I I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think I I said that yeah, uh, on this did. show yeah. that 
for the first half an hour until the ape shows up. It's really good. When the ape shows up, that's actually when it kind of got off the rails for me. They start using random green laser beams, which I don't understand. And then like they tried to steal like the cargo net type thing from SpongeBob. But the first 30 minutes for me were actually really, really good. I was shocked. But anyway, I'm glad to know that someone with the uh, the high class cultural palette of Peter Felicia agreed. All right. Uh, so let's move on into the rest of our show. Yeah, real quick, we want to say congratulations to everybody at Bernhardt Hamlet, which made its final Broadway bow on Sunday night. Congratulations to them. And real quick, wanted to give an update on that maddening story of Fiddler on the Roof with the drunk guy who started yelling some obscene, hateful words during a uh, intermission of a tour stop of Fiddler on the Roof at the Baltimore Hippodrome Theater. It turns out that that man, yes, heavily intoxicated, but was actually trying to express his personal hatred for Donald Trump rather than an anti-Semitic uh, pro-Trump statement. I, I mean, I, James, I am a teetotaler myself, but I can understand how in some sort of drunken haze you can think I'm going to draw a connection between Hitler and Trump and everyone will understand that I hate them both and they are both evil rather than I'm praising both of them. I guess I can understand that. But clearly, level-headed, not drunk, you realize that that is an absolutely horrible, horrific thing to do. So I, I guess it makes me feel a little better that he wasn't actually a Nazi white supremacist who paid for a balcony ticket to see Fiddler on the Roof just to do that. But still, I mean, just, I don't, I don't know, man. Worst anti-Trump protest ever. <laughs> <laughs> really? You could not have done it worse. Uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking maybe this is what uh, Mitch McConnell and, and Marco Rubio are doing. So uh, maybe <laughs> they're really anti-Trump, too. They just don't express themselves well. Boys, use, use your words, boys. Use yes. your words. All right. Uh, first up in the news, shall you take <laughs> it or shall I? Sure. Yes, I'll go first because we have just had to uh, drop this in because there was an embargo for this story. So if you are hearing this, this that means that it is after not or after 8 a.m. Sorry, on Monday morning, because that is when it became official that Moulin Rouge, the musical, will come to Broadway this summer, taking over the Al Hirschfeld Theater. Beginning on June 28th, performances will start at the theater currently occupied by Kinky Boots, a show that will be closing in April. The opening night for that new production is July 25th. The cast from the Boston out-of-town tryout will transfer to Broadway, including Karen Olivo, Aaron Tveit, Danny Burstein, Sarna Guja, Tam Mutu, Ricky Rojas, and Robin Herter, hot off the heels of her performance uh, in the City Center's uh, chorus line. The entire ensemble will be coming as well, so we'll have that in complete cast list in the show notes as of now, now that you're listening to it, a bunch of uh, different random pre-sale offers begin on Wednesday at noon. We'll have those listed. There's like not all at once, but one starts and then another one starts a few days later and on and so on and so forth. James, this move has been almost exactly like this rumored for a long time. I personally thought that they'd wait a little longer, like another month rather than opening in July. I thought maybe they'd start previews in July and then open in August. But with a property like Moulin Rouge, I suppose you can kind of make your own rules and start performances in July, which we really don't see go very well. But with a name like Moulin Rouge, sure, do whatever the hell you want. Um, I'm still a little surprised more than anything that they're going into the Hirschfeld. It is a glorious 
incredible, amazing theater. But I, knowing what they did in Boston, James, they had this huge marquee and this huge, you know, visual spectacle outside. I mean, the Hirschfeld is on a residential street. Like it's not, um, there's not a ton of, of airspace for them to do that. So I'm a little surprised, uh, but I guess we'll see what they, they come up with, see what they do inside. I think that the inside of the Hirschfeld actually lends itself very well to the Moulin Rouge, uh, red curtain, Baz Luhrmann decor. But I was a little surprised when we started to hear that this is where they were going, uh, thought they would have done much better at a place, uh, like the winter garden where Beatrice is going or, at the Broadway where King Kong is there, a show produced by the same producers. But I suppose, again, it goes back to, this is Moulin Rouge. Maybe they don't have to worry about that. They have a property that people are going to want to see, even if they have to take, you know, a walk a few blocks West. Yeah. Um, I think it's a matter of, you know, what are they going to do? They really plan on, and we talked about it on this week on Broadway. They really plan on uh, King Kong running. I mean, Riedel's column yeah. uh, kind of outlined that from unnamed sources saying that they really planned on bad reviews and they're going to let it run. And um, we'll, I guess we'll see uh, over the next couple of weeks. I think that uh, we're not going to get a true view of how it's selling because we're getting into the holiday season with uh, – we should talk about our schedule for sure. the holiday season. But getting into the holiday season in the next four weeks is not going to be a true test of ticket sales. Uh, I guess when we look at January sales to see if King Kong is really going to run or not and how they're going to do with the marketing of it. Uh, I think that the pre-Broadway opening marketing was really good. Uh, I want to see if they're going to continue that. But I think that they're going to have to do some heavy marketing because I don't think – Word of mouth is going to carry King Kong. Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. So, um, wow, that is huge news. You better come back at 8 a.m. and listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> totes. <laughs> totes. Totes awesome. All right. Um, next up in the news, Broadway mourns the passing of two icons. Yeah, James, obviously uh, no good transition from that previous story. Um, but on Saturday, we learned that nine-time Tony-winning producer Jerry Frankel had passed away. Along with his producing partner, Jeffrey Richards, Frankel worked on Broadway for almost 20 years, producing 50 shows, including All the Way, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Porgy Best, La Caja Falls, Hair, August Osage County, The Original Spring Awakening, Glengarry Glen Ross, Death of a Salesman, and many, many more. Frankel is survived by his partner, Mary Casey, his children and grandchildren. Then on Friday, we also learned of the passing of William Goldman, though, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show that Peter had a nice story about, um, though he's known for his screenplays for things like All the President's Men and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and of course, the original novel and screenplay uh, for The Princess Bride, Goldman also has very strong connections to the theater. He wrote three shows that came to Broadway, first the play Blood, Sweat, and Stanley Pool in 1961, then the musical A Family Affair, which he co-wrote with his brother James Goldman and some no-name guy named John Kander <laughs> in 1962, and then many decades later, the stage adaptation of Stephen King's Misery, which starred uh, Bruce Willis and Laurie Metcalf in, on Broadway in 2015. Of course, he is also the author of the nonfiction work The Season, a candid look at Broadway, which chronicled the 1967-68 season on Broadway, which is one of those must-reads for any Broadway historians. James, the passings of both Jerry and William uh, have inspired a lot of response from people 
all across the theater and entertainment and just general communities at large um, over the last few days as people have shared their thoughts and feelings. So um, our thoughts are with all of those people who are mourning from a distance. And of course, um, for everybody who loved personally, either Frankel or Goldman. Yeah, those are two incredibly large icons who made a, a tremendous impression upon the Broadway community. And I encourage people, if uh, you haven't read the season, go to Amazon and read it. Uh, and Peter tells a great story on This Week on Broadway. So take a listen to that about his remembrance of uh, Mr. Goldman. All right, next up, upcoming West Side Story Revival announces a search for dancers. Yes, they did, James. But it comes with a bit of a twist because... It's Evo Van Hova, so of course it mm. does. Um, but we'll get to that. But first up, the open dance call will take place on Saturday, December 8th, with sign-in beginning at 8.30 a.m. for men and 12.30 p.m. for women. Now, you might be saying, I'd like to go to that, Matt. Where is it? I don't know. They didn't tell us. You apparently have to email wssrevival at gmail.com to sign up and not only get the location <laughs> of those open calls, but also get the details for what they want you to prepare. That sounds okay. legit. That's that yeah, it, always it always surprises me when all of these open calls for things like Broadway shows or uh, like the the when um, uh, when Telsey does the stuff for like the TV yeah. musicals. It's always at a Gmail account. Like, really, you can't spring for the extra five bucks for the domain. But anyway, um, that's not the weird part. Uh, we'll get to the weird part. Well, it is a weird part. It's not the weirdest or most interesting. <laughs> um, the West Side Story Revival is scheduled to begin performances at a theater to be named later on December 10th of 2019 and to open almost two months later on February 6th of 2020. So, in my mind, James, that would mean that they're trying to get this casting call to get ensemble dancers in the fold and then to do a workshop or lab or two to get the, the choreography for Anne Teresa de Kiersmacher uh, locked in. I think I got that close. Um, uh, Anna Teresa, maybe Anna Teresa de Kiersmacher uh, locked in because that is still more than a year away from the first performance on Broadway. But put all that aside. What really interests me in this, James, is the fact that the subject line for the email for the press release and in the lead boldface stuff at the top of the press release made it very specific that dancers of all ethnicities are welcome to audition for West Side Story, which, knowing the issues that have happened in the past with the casting of this show, obviously raised my eyebrows a little bit. Then, as I started to scroll down, I noticed in the press release something that was a little um, uh, satisfying or a little it, it calmed my nerves a little bit because it does specifically say that Latinx dancers will audition for the Sharks. But it also notes that all other ethnicities will audition for the Jets. Now, James, I, I don't know if this is for equal opportunity employment reasons, but with Evo, you never know. And I think it would be really interesting to see what he might do with a culturally diverse Jets, um, which kind of turns it less into a racial, well, not less from a racial thing, but it, it puts a different spin on the racial elements to that in light of the specifically immigrant story that's unfolding in our actual culture today. Do you think he'll use uh, Sir Sharonin as Maria? I, I, I would hope. <laughs> I mean... I could see I could see him doing Sir Sharon and his Tony though. I mean oh, yeah, because yeah. Uh -huh. you know, why not? <laughs> um 
but yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. I don't know if this is just for legal reasons um, that no, the, he has I, to have people come in, but I would I don't think so. No, I don't think that for casting calls you're held to the ethnicity ethnicity clause. I'm not positive about that. I'm pretty sure that you can specify ethnicity in uh, in artistic ventures. Uh, I'm not positive about that. Maybe some one of our listeners can uh, can chime in and tell us here about that, but. Um, I I think that the uh, the email thing is actually weirder than the <laughs> than the thing. Okay. I t- you have to you email and they tell you to bring a hard boiled egg to a van on Thirty <laughs> Fourth Street and you know yeah. go to the next I've place. Got- I've 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 gone to some immersive type shows before where they don't tell you where it is until yeah. like a week before. That's different. That's something you know you're paying to go see and you understand that's part of the mystery. Like this is a job interview and they're not telling you where to go because like what's weird is that they've made a very point that it's a nationwide search yeah but if i'm in california why would i say why would i sign up for this if it's in new york i would want to know so who knows i whatever i mean okay all right so uh and then we'll have to see how many people actually get you know jobs out of yeah. an open call versus the agent submission section of it exactly exactly Okay, uh, let's move into this week's theatrical schedule. Okay, we've talked a lot already, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. And it's a holiday week, so there's not a ton going on. But uh, tonight, previews begin for the fabul- or for Fabulation or the Re-Education of Undyne uh, Off-Broadway at the Signature Theater. Tomorrow night, previews begin for Clueless, the musical Off-Broadway from the new group. On Thursday, we've got the Thanksgiving Day Parade with tons of Broadway performances on both NBC and CBS. Then on Friday, Broadway previews begin for The Illusionists, Magic of the Holidays. Um, Then on Saturday, it is the most important day in the Broadway theatrical schedule for me because it is the day when I hate every single Broadway performer, uh, especially in musicals other than Bonnie Milligan, Kate Rockwell, Elena Shadow, Ashley Spencer, Edward Watts, and a few others, because all of them, all of the rest of them went to the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And Saturday is when Ohio State is probably going to get killed by Michigan uh, for the first time in like two decades. But anyway, then on Sunday, um, we have the opening off-Broadway at Lincoln Center for uh, the revival of of Shepherd's The Hard Problem. Then we have three shows closing Days of Rage from Second Stage, Popcorn Falls Off Broadway at the Davenport, and Natural Shocks from the WP Theater. We just ran through all of those, but if you want more information on any of those productions, I will have links to the individual show pages in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. Okay, Matt, what other news do we have? Okay, two things, two quick bits of news. On Friday morning, it was announced that LaShawn's, Sekon Singbla, Manuel Falciano, Jalen Kristen Lejosi, and more would lead the cast of Duncan Sheik and Susan Burkhead's musical adaptation of Sue Monk Kidd's novel, The Secret Life of Bees. Directed by Sam Gold, the show is scheduled to begin performances off-Broadway from the Atlantic Theater Company on May 12th and is currently set for a limited run through July 7th. And finally, on Thursday night, Georgia's Serenby Playhouse announced their 10th anniversary season. We've talked about this company before. It's one of my favorite regional theaters in the country. They're the ones that landed a helicopter for Miss Saigon, Mm, sunk a boat for Titanic, and done a bunch of other inventive things, both large and small. They don't just do big things. They do really interesting little things, too. But the theme for this season will be America, Past, Present, Future. They will start in March with a Broadway-sized revival of Shenandoah. Then in May, they will stage Rag time and in july they will present a revival of hair which they actually already did in their fourth season but this time 
because it's Saren B and it's the 10th anniversary, they will be accompanying it with an actual outdoor music festival in honor of the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. So pretty interesting. I'm excited to see what they do there. Throughout June, July, and August, they will also present a world premiere retelling of Pocahontas's story from Native American playwright Kara Morrison. Uh, these shows will join their annual productions of the Sleepy Hollow Experience and the Snow Queen. James, we've really got to get, get Serenby's founder and artistic slash executive director Brian Cloudus on uh, to talk about what they do there because uh, it's really, really special and unique. So maybe I'll uh, I'll reach out to him and, and see if we can make that happen here soon. But if you would like information on any or all of these stories, please check out the show notes at broadwayradio.com. So, yeah, get Brian on, on the horn as soon as possible. And Serenby, uh, uh, I'm afraid to ask, have they ever done Sweeney Todd? Uh, not that I know of. Um, but would they use, like, real people? and you know. <laughs> Oh, they would certainly have meat pies of some sort. I don't think they've done uh, Sweeney, but they've done – they did a great Avita outdoors. They've done Grease outdoor. I'm like, it's uh, – I've seen Oklahoma. They did Carousel with an actual huge carousel. Um, they, they, I mean, they did, oh, they, uh, they did one of, um, I forget what they, they, but they, they've like turned shipping containers into, into their sets before really just fascinating, interesting stuff they do there. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for kicking off the week with us. And Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow.